moment in this time in history and we just join with you saying you are Lord Jesus you are wonderful Jesus you are precious and Jesus you are powerful and God I just thank you that we can get to call on that name and we can get to experience that relationship with you and it's made possible because of your great love for us so we worship you and we adore you and we praise you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. Mm. Exciting. Today, uh, we're continuing our uh, six-week series called Be Last. And it has been a journey. And, and today, I'm really going to take the opportunity to, to kind of kind of flip things and and we're going to focus on Jesus and not that we had been focusing on Jesus through this things but we're going to look at what Jesus did over these next few weeks leading into Easter as far as how he demonstrated how did how he displayed to us what it's like to be last and we've looked at other parables leading up to this time but today I just want us to to zoom in on what Jesus did and today's topic is about uh, humble love, humble love. In the text, if you want to go ahead and turn to it, is found in John chapter 13. And we're going to be uh, diving into that in just a moment. But you know, I've been studying this week and praying about this text and leading into it. And I did not know that our, our little ones that just filed out that are headed back to the back, uh, they have this very same lesson today. So the Spirit is working. Uh, even as this message and their lesson is tying in together that God knew all along and God had everything planned out for today. And I'm going to give you some uh, truths that kind of lead into this story that we're going to be looking at today. And one of the first truths that I want to share today about humble love is this. And it is my capacity to love is directly related to my capacity to humble myself. My capacity to love. In other words, capacity means, you know, how much can it hold? We're talking about how much can, can be there, a capacity of something. What's it capable of? And my capacity to love is directly related to my capacity to humble myself. And here's the lesson the kids are hearing in the back today. Humility is putting others first by giving up what you think you deserve. Humility is putting others first by giving up what you think you deserve. And those kids are hearing that lesson today. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think about, um, I, playing the sports and the basketball, they're going to hear, hear an illustration about passing the ball. You know, everybody, you know, chants MVP, MVP, don't they? And then they chant all of that out there and they focus on, you know, who's the greatest. But, you know, humility, for the team's sake, is if you're going down the court and you got a guy that's open, you want to make sure you, if he's got an open shot, you pass the ball. And you pass it off, and, but why? Because you want the team to do well. You want to score. And that's, that's part of it. And, but, you know, it's not all about 
you know, the ones they want to interview is the ones who? That have the most points in the game. And that's, you know, that's what the media always does. They always go and they get the ones that have scored the most. But, you know, I've learned quick on that, you know, the great scouts look for not the ones that can just score the most, but the ones who know how to pass the ball. And that's the humble players. That's the ones that are going to make the team better. And we're going to see a great illustration, but humility is putting others first by giving up what we think you deserve. Now, you know, in the Bible, when we see love, love is, is really completely uh, unselfish in the Bible. You know, there, there's a love that's in the world that people have. And, you know, even sinners have love toward one another. Even sinners do things for one another. But love is when you begin to do something for someone that doesn't even deserve it. It's an unselfish type. And that's biblical love. That's God's love. Love is when you begin to pray for the bully. Love is when you begin to pray for the enemy. Love is when you begin to pray for those who say all kinds of things against you. And all kinds of things that are hurtful toward you. And you know what? That's not easy, is it? But that is real life and where things begin to happen. And that's the kind of love that we're going to be looking at. And today I want you to see in the first few verses of, Luke, of John chapter 13 the source of this love and how it's linked, how love is linked to humility. Pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 13 of John. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Boy, hear the emphasis there. Jesus knowing his time has come, having loved those disciples, having loved those followers, he loved them to the end. In verse 2, during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. But Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Now listen, this is the, the setting in the background of this text is this. This is the, the setting is, is the, they're in the upper room. It's the Last Supper, it's, it, and it's where the Lord's Supper originated that we participate in. But that's the setting of it. It's the Thursday before the Good Friday. And so that's the setting. And, and prior to this, if you remember the story, there were those disciples that were walking, and they were talking among themselves about who was the least among themselves, right? No. They were discussing who's the greatest, who's the MVP, man, who's, who's the best of the best among us. And, you know, that, we got to remember, that's the setting we're dealing with. And, and so Jesus is there in the room, in the upper room, and they're all gathered around. They're reclining at the table, and he shares these few verses with us. And we're about to see something that is very very important to us to see when it comes to humble love. You know, it's one thing that Jesus talks about. He's come from God. He's going back to, to God. He's loved us from the beginning. 
He loves, he's loved us eternally. It says he's loved us, the one word is to the uttermost, which I like that. From the guttermost to the uttermost. Have you ever heard that said before? I, I have. I've been in church long enough to, for someone to say, hey, he saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. And you know what? That's what God does because of God's love. But here is Jesus as God. Here he is in the glory of heaven. And can you only imagine the glory that's there? And then he humbles himself. And he's born of a woman. He's born of a virgin. He's born of Mary. And he's born in a palace, right? No, he's born in a stable. He's born in a cave. He's born in his place in a feed trough. And then he lives a life of a carpenter's son. And he, he's living this life, and, and he's working with his hands, and he was a man's man. And we don't know much about his life until what happened at 12, and then we don't know anything until he begins his ministry at 30. But he's out among the people. He's doing all kinds of things, but he gets to this point. And over these next two weeks, we're going to see he, he gets to a point of humbling himself. And this week we're going to see how he humbled himself. And then we're going to take it even deeper next Sunday of how he humbled himself. But how did he show this love? How did he show humble love? How did he display this kind of love to his disciples and all of us as followers of Jesus? Let's see here. How did he do it? It says he got up from supper and he laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. And then he poured water into the basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which was, with which he was girded. That's how he did it. The Son of God goes to one of the lowest of the lowest roles that a servant can have. You know, the custom of the day is when you came into the, a home or the, the, get, the one that was inviting the people would have some servant wash their feet. And they usually were greeted with a kiss. And if there were some oil to anoint them, that was done as well. But in this case, you have Jesus and the disciples, and you even have uh, Judas, the one who's going to betray him. They're all together, the 12 disciples with Jesus. They're in the upper room. And you would think that one of them, knowing the conditions that, you know what, it's time that we're about to eat and partake of something special here. Let's, somebody should, should step up and do the right thing here. And there's no servant around here to wash the feet, so who's going to do it? And Jesus, we're talking God, the one who... <laughs> who created everything, what does he do? He puts humble love on display. He, he took, he, he takes off his outer cloak. He grabs up a towel. He girds himself. And he began to do what no one else was willing to do. Wow. Can you imagine? This was for the, okay, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants did this. And remember, they had been talking about who's the greatest among the great among the greatest. But the 
But the lowest of the lowest of servants would do this role. And Jesus steps up and he does it. And so as he began to wash those disciples' feet, we pick up in the text here. He comes to the one disciple who's always saying something, and that was Peter. And Peter was watching. And you know, I, I, I can only imagine, the Scripture doesn't say anything, but Peter has got to have been sitting there going, this isn't right. There is no way that he should be doing this. This, Peter, remember Peter, when Jesus asked Peter, he said, who do people say that I am? He said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And even Peter had prior to this had been on a, on a time out on the boat where they had fished and they had caught nothing and then, and then the Lord told them to cast off and they caught all kinds of fish and, and Peter said, Lord, depart from me. He was so amazed by all that. He said, I'm a sinner. So Peter knew. He, he knew who this was. And he was going, this is God. This is the Messiah. And he's washing, doing the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servant roles. He's doing that. He's being last. And Peter, when he gets to Peter, Peter was quick to say, he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him in verse 7, What I do, what I do you, do not realize now. But you will understand later. And then Peter said to Jesus, Never, never shall you wash my feet. That's an exclamation. That's why I raised the volume up a little bit there. Never shall you wash my feet. Peter had his pride, didn't he? He knew this was the Messiah. That's a humbling thing to know that the creator of this world is now coming to wash your feet. Particularly when you had been arguing who's the greatest. <laughs> wow. So that's the setting. And Peter was bold enough. Man, you know how Peter is. He's the bull in the china cabinet. He is just going to say what he's thinking. And he just bursts out. You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus just calmly replies to Peter, If I don't wash you, you will have no part of me. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? In other words, if Peter, if you won't allow me to do this, you won't have any part of it. Peter goes from one extreme to the other extreme. You know anybody like that? Have you ever dealt with anybody like that? They go from one extreme to the other extreme. We call it bipolar these days, you know, and stuff like that. But anyway, this was a case to where everything's just bad, 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 and then everything's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right? And you know what? I, I tell people all the time, life's full of up and downs. But blessed are the balance because they'll outlast us all. Amen? They will. But you've got to keep things in proportion. But here's what Peter had done. He went from never to, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head just wash me all over. That's what he wanted him to do. And you know what? 
Jesus said, oh, no, 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 Peter. There's no need for that because you are already clean. Now, do you realize what that statement means, you are already clean? He's telling Peter, basically, Peter, you're already saved. You're clean. You're saved. That had, that had to be a, an amazing moment in Peter's life. To have the one who gives eternal life to look you in the eye and say, you're already clean. You're good. Between me and you, it's good. Wouldn't you like that? If Jesus walked in the room and said, you know what, today, or you know what, you're good. You and I are good. You're going to heaven with me. We're good. How would that make you feel? How would you walk out of this room if Jesus walked in this room and told you that? You're good. You're already clean. You're saved. Well, he has in his word, but oftentimes we tend to forget it. He says, I give you eternal life. Nobody can take that away from you. And you know what? Sometimes we forget how good that is, don't we? But that's exactly what Jesus did to Peter. He said, Peter, you're clean. But he said, but not all of you are. Now, the reason he said this was he was going back to Judas. And he was referring back to Judas because J Judas was not clean. Judas was not saved. Judas had not been born again. But check this out, y'all. Even Jesus, in humble love, still washed Judas's feet. He was one of the twelve that day. Wow. Now that blows me away, y'all. I don't know about you, but the very fact that he did that as well says something to me. He did it. Now later on, Jesus... Judas left when it came time at the breaking of the bread and the morsel. But Judas was present to have his feet washed by the Son of God, the Messiah, that day. Wow. He goes on to say, for he knew who was betraying him. So, verse 12, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? That's how he put humble love on display. Do you know what I've done to you? Do you realize what just took place, what just went down? And basically he goes on to say this, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should, you should also, you should do also as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave, a servant, is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. Since you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Last verse there says, if you know these things, but the, there's two ifs in that one verse. The first if is a different word than the second if. The first if carries a meaning of certainty. Since you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now let me ask you a question. 
Has anybody ever washed your feet before? Have you ever had your feet washed by someone? Now you might be thinking, are you talking preacher literally? Has somebody literally done this? You know, churches, they don't have the foot washing services. You know, some churches do. But, you know, I got to thinking about this, and I was thinking through this this past week about having had my feet washed by someone. Have you ever been at a point in your life to where you were going through a really tough time? Perhaps it was a sickness, an illness. Perhaps it was some emotional time that you were going through. But you had someone that was, when you couldn't, I'm talking about when you were just curled up, maybe so sick that you didn't think any more sickness could come out of you. But you've had someone that was there that took care of you and cared and loved you through that process. Listen. If you've experienced that, you have had someone that has literally washed your feet. They have served you. They have taken care of you. They have put your interests ahead of their very own. I know even, I see my brother John back here. Mary passed. Friday was a week ago. John was faithful serving her, being there with her, taking care of her. Forty-five years they were together. But doing those things for other people. And you do it. Why do you do that? Because you love. Why do you do? Why do you go through some of those times? Several years ago, I had a moment, and I had a season. And I, and I was thinking about that this week. You know, I, I never have had anybody physically do it, but then I remembered what my wife did for me. And I remember how she cared for me. And God's Holy Spirit just clearly in the Spirit spoke to me and said, yes, you have had others serve you this way. And boy, it just, the scenes began to unfold as I began to see just the love that had been poured out to me. And so listen, that's what we're talking about here today. If you've, if you've ever experienced that, you know what it's like. And this is exactly the scene in the setting that Jesus did. He put humble love on display. And he did what nobody else was willing to do in that room that day. I want to close with a... I was actually debating on which text to use this week and... And, I, and it's turned out I get to use both of them. But I want you to just turn with me because it's a related story to this that has a powerful meaning. But we're going to read what happened in Luke chapter 7, picking up in verse 36. I want to read a story to you that kind of wraps up everything I've talked about today. Luke chapter 7, picking up in verse 36. It says, now, one of the Pharisees, Pharisees were the religious leaders. They kept the rules, knew the law, knew it backwards and forwards, was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Notice again, reclining at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, 
This woman was probably a prostitute. She was an immoral woman. Everyone knew it. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Check this out, verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, she was weeping. I want you to picture that. A scene where here's the Pharisees, religious people, and they're all reclining. They're in this table in the center. And Jesus is reclining and his feet are behind him. And all of a sudden there's a woman there who's standing above his feet. And she begins to weep. And we pick up here. She's weeping. And then she began to wet his feet <laughs> with her tears. This is a broken woman. And she kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, he thought it, he said it to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him that she is a sinner. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> Don't you love that? I just like the way that comes across. Simon, he called him by name, Simon the Pharisee here. I have something to say to you. And Simon replied, say it, teacher. Come on, bring it. He gives a parable of two debtors. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Remember last week's message? What's a denarii? It's a silver Roman coin that's one day's wages. One day's wages. And the other, 50. So you had one that owed 500 days wages and you had another one that owed about two months, 50 days. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them, who will who, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one <laughs> whom he forgave more. And he said to Simon, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Past tense, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with Jesus began to say to themselves, who is this man 
who even forgives sins. Well, I'll tell you who he is. He is the only one who can forgive sins. He is the Lord God Almighty, the very source of the one who will pay for those sins and every one of them. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. I share those two stories. Share this. The disciples that day should have been the one that should have been serving Jesus and washing his feet. They should have been last and put him first because Jesus, folks, Jesus deserves to be first. He deserves to be preeminent in all things. He deserves to be first. And may we learn the lesson. And may we learn a lesson from their conduct, but also from his example. Because he says, since you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Wow. So that's our assignment. And that is to go and show love to others. Humble ourselves and show love to others that don't deserve it. That cannot repay you. That may not ever like you. But to show it and follow the example of Jesus. Let's pray.